0: To the Iron Mike Keenan Show. The stories behind the stories from the hockey world as witnessed firsthand by the man who was there serving as head coach for eight NHL teams, including the Philadelphia Flyers and Chicago Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup Finals, and the New York Rangers as they captured the cup and ended their 54-year drought. Add to this, Iron Mike's time served as head coach in the KB, nice. and China. as well as winner of the Gagarin Cup, and you've got a perspective on the sport few others have. Coach Iron Mike is joined by Hockey Hall of Fame journalist, award-winning author and commentator, Scott Morrison. Here they are, Iron Mike Keenan and Scott Morrison.
1: Welcome to the show. First uh, Sunday of May, May 2nd, day after the Kentucky Derby, big race. And uh, welcome and uh, lots to discuss in the hockey world as we uh, count down the days to uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning. Most years we'd be in the middle of the playoffs right now, but uh, as we know, this is a different year and uh, we uh, say hello to uh, Aaron Mike Keenan.
2: How you doing, Scott? Uh, we got creative this morning, folks. Uh, I'm in Costa Rica and... Uh, We tried to do the Zoom. It didn't work, but uh, our technical specialist, Michael in Key West, hooked us up, and here we go.
1: All righty. So, as I say, lots to uh, talk about. And, uh, uh, well, let's start with uh, some business from late last night for those uh, on the... uh, the East Coast, their stations, uh, well, throughout Florida and then uh, upstate New York, Pennsylvania, and drifting into Ontario. Um, Mark andre Fleury of the Vegas uh, Golden Knights with a, a win in overtime, uh, number 489 of his career, ties him for third on the all-time wins list, uh, Mike, with a guy that uh, you coached uh, and traded, Roberto Luongo.
2: Yeah, that's a great uh, accomplishment. Goaltending's a tough position. I had, as you know, Scott, seven Vincent Trophy winners, and uh, they're all great goalies, including uh, Roberto Luongo. Uh, to to have that kind of record means that you've played a lot of games, you've had longevity, you've stayed healthy, and you probably have played uh, behind good teams. Uh, great goaltenders can make uh, good teams better, and uh, of course. Uh, We've always, I think, adhered to the adage that if you don't have a great goaltender, you're not going to win the Stanley Cup. But uh, it's a pretty super accomplishment. And, uh, you know, he had a great start in Pittsburgh and now with uh, Vegas uh, continues to have success. So, and they, you know, obviously they've got a very strong team there and it's going to hold well for, for the group for him to be uh, on top of his game would be such an excellent goaltender. And then they got the strength up in front. So it's going to be a formidable team to beat in the West.
1: And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, you mentioned Pittsburgh, Vegas, obviously. Um, and in both situations, uh, at at various times, it appeared like he was slipping back into to being the number two guy. And ultimately was, uh, you know, exposed in the expansion draft to, to go to Vegas. So a lot of perseverance to get to uh, where he is in his career, but maybe speak about Roberto and uh, the kind of goaltender he was.
2: Well, before I do that, Scott, I I, am going to uh, remind everybody of a a great goaltender heart winning heart trophy winner in Dominic Catholic in Buffalo. He went through waivers, uh, I had to make the trade with Buffalo because of uh, the expansion draft. We could only protect one goalie, and I protected Eddie Balfour. uh, Traded Dominic to Buffalo. John Muckler, he was very unorthodox. uh, Found him very unusual. Put him on waivers. I claimed him on waivers, but the NHL said I was the only team that couldn't claim him uh, because I had traded him to Buffalo. Uh, Subsequently, nobody picked him up, and he goes on to win the The Hart trophy and of course what a great goaltender but uh roberto again uh he was carrying the franchise primarily when i was in florida we didn't have a very strong team excellent goaltender and then uh, as everyone knows uh there was a contract dispute uh our owner alan cohen at the time i didn't want them to meet the demands uh of Joe Zloupi and his agent of 35 million, he offered him 30 million, and then if you look at the tax difference in uh, Florida, uh, it comes out to be a pretty strong contract. And, and uh, I would asked Roberto the time to to accept it because I said uh, this man has never had the, the the opportunity to collect money on any playoff games. They hadn't made the playoffs, so the road declined and uh, the ultimatum was given to me to trade him and i moved to roberto as everyone knows on to vancouver so if you're a mathematician you know that he didn't make as much money in, in vancouver as he would have in florida because of the tax laws so uh, but as far as goaltending concerned uh clinton malarchuk was uh, with me as a goaltending coach and had a great bond and relationship with roberto I think he helped mentor him and prepare him. and He cont- continued to get better as he got older, as most goalies do, and certainly had a great career in Vancouver. And then going back to uh, Florida, uh, 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 the only Florida path that have his jersey hung in the rafters. So he's also had a very extensive and did have a very extensive career in continues to do so. Now he's, he's the general manager of, King Canada going to the world championships. So uh, it's funny the way the, this hockey business works sometimes.
1: Well, we should mention that uh, <coughs> Fleury and Longo ultimately uh, passed Eddie Belfour. Uh, he was at 484 wins, Luongo Fleury 489. And, of course, you had Eddie, as you mentioned, with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, uh, one of the characters of the game.
2: Yeah, well, it was. As I said, I could comment on all these great goaltenders I had. Uh, you know, Pelly Lindbergh, God bless him, was killed, and then I go to Chicago and I end up getting Dominic. You know, through a number of other goalies too, and and Dominic Hasek and Eddie Balfour make the choice. We go to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, uh, Dominic was new in the NHL, a little bit unorthodox. We didn't know that much about him, and then. Eddie, of course, was a battler. had his own quirky position in terms of his preparation. He was one of the greatest skate sharpeners in the in the game. He would spend hours sharpening sharpening his own skates on game day, uh, just to help him focus and get ready to 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 play. But he was a real fierce competitor, uh, and uh, we had a great goaltending coach too. and Treczak, who came over from Russia to teach these two young goalies uh, their skills, and he had a, a lot to them. And I know that both of those goaltenders have a great deal of respect for Mr. Tretchak today. So it's uh, uh, it, it was uh, interesting to, to go through the different series of personalities, Scott, that I had in goaltending. And uh, Eddie reminded me quite a bit of Ronnie Extel, who was also very engaging and and Combative and aggressive, and uh, I would describe Eddie at the time. He was a puck stopper. He wasn't into the technical aspect. He was a you know, the, don't get me wrong. Uh, there was a lot of development in the goaltending position, but he was first and foremost a battler of just stopping the puck in any which way or, or form that he could come up with. So he added to the great successes, of course, in Chicago and. And it goes on to Dallas and wins the Stanley Cup. So um, when he was inducted to the Hall of Fame, I, I think I've shared this story with you before. I'm at the card. He's sitting at the dining room table having dinner, and the phone rang, and my sister answered the phone. And so I picked it up, and he they, they said, Mike, yes. And I said, this is Mike. And he said, this is Ed Belfort. I want to thank you so much for helping me win this, uh, uh to be nominated to the Hall of Fame, because... Uh, You taught me a lot. You had confidence in me, and I played a lot because of you. So that was kind of a nice gesture.
1: So one and two on that all-time goalie list, uh, Martin Brodeur, uh, 691 wins, phenomenal number. Uh, Patrick Waugh, number two at 551. So that leaves Marc-Andre Fleury, 62 wins behind. He's 36 years old, will be 37 in November. Is that reachable, Mike?
2: I think it is. I think Patrick it is, if he stays healthy, that's always the question at that age. But uh, he appears to be healthy. And if he stays healthy, he's with a good team that can win those games next year to, I think, put him in second place. So I, I think it's very doable, uh, certainly the biggest thing is staying healthy and, and having a very strong team in front of you. But I think that's going to be a very reachable goal for him.
1: All righty. So uh, you mentioned Roberto Luongo and uh, the world championships, general manager for uh, team Canada, the world's uh, uh, because of COVID moved to Riga. Uh, I guess later in, in May they will start not too far away. And uh he is general manager with Team Canada. You've coached Team Canada at the Worlds, and uh, speaking of Vegas, and a former coach of Vegas, and a former coach in Florida, uh, Gerard Gallant named uh, head coach of uh,
2: that Canadian entry this week. Yeah, I'm really uh, happy for him because he he fundamentally did a great job in Florida. I have no idea why he was dismissed, and we we you know we can talk about the 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 coaching merry-go-round as it exists in the NHL for whatever reason and then he he gets dismissed also in Vegas and he went to the Stanley Cup finals in the first year of the franchise and they had a little bit of a slip and I don't know if, uh, if uh I don't know what happened I I couldn't understand why they would fire him in either case in Florida and in Vegas so Uh, I I guess there there was a transition in ownership in Florida, and there was a transition uh, from uh, George McPhee to to, uh, Kelly uh, McCrimmon to become the manager, and it looks like Kelly wanted his own man, so uh, he goes out and gets uh, Peter DeBoer, who's done a good job, but uh, uh, it's good to see Gallant get resurfaced and get another chance, and... I don't know what his relationship uh, was or where it was in the past with Roberto, but I'm good at Roberto to reach out and, and offer him the opportunity because he deserves to be in the game. And and uh, fundamentally, there's a lot of uh, uh, different scenarios that, that take place in the dismissal of coaches or hiring coaches that sometimes are just unexplainable, but I'm, in my opinion, he,
1: Okay, we're having some phone issues uh, at your end, Mike. Uh, Let's take a break and uh, see if we can straighten those out and be back with some more of the Iron Mike Keenan Show.
0: Now back to the Iron Mike Keenan Show, the stories behind the stories from the hockey world. Here's Coach Iron Mike Keenan and Hockey Hall of Fame journalist Scott Morrison.
1: Welcome back to the show, radio show number 16 across our network. And uh, podcast uh, number thirty-seven across cyberspace. So uh, Iron Mike <laughs> is joining us from uh, from Costa Rica. I am in Toronto, Canada. We have all the bases covered, and uh, we were just talking—I uh, guess fittingly enough—about the World Championships and uh, Gerard Gallant, formerly with uh, Las Vegas and Florida, and pretty darn good player when his days hard-nosed players. Uh, hard player rather with the Detroit Red Wings predominantly and a, a native of Prince Edward Island in Canada. But he uh, will be coaching Canada at the Worlds and Mike, uh, you had that experience. And uh, so two things uh, about the World Championships. First of all, from a Canadian perspective, the, the European teams traditionally have taken that tournament much more seriously. Uh, but the players, uh, for sure and their associations, federations. But, you know, Canada is a lot more serious. But predominantly, it's players who didn't make it the Stanley Cup playoffs. So what is that motivation factor like for uh, coaching a Canadian or an American team? Uh, There are NHLers, obviously, on the European teams. But what's that motivation factor like?
2: Yes, you're right. The the emphasis uh, for the European teams, particularly, for example, the, the Soviet Union and then the Russians, uh, and the Europeans, they all finish their leagues by May the 1st, so they can have as many uh, great players as they can uh, come up with to be prepared and ready to play in the World Championships. It's a lot more significant overall. Of course, that, uh, that transitioned into a little bit different focus for them when the European, Russian and uh, Scandinavian countries started to move players into the NHL. So in abundance, so that their, their makeup for their teams became a little bit different. But, uh, for example, the KHL just completed the Gagarin cup and they do it, uh, prior to May the 1st to make sure that, uh, they have the best players available from the KHL playing the world championships. So, uh, it was interesting for us, uh, we had a good group that uh, Tom Rennie was also an assistant coach who now is head of hockey Canada. Um, and we, we had a very good team, uh, as it goes, but, uh, I didn't, uh, really enforce too many, uh, restrictions on the club. We did video, we did the normal preparation. So on, <laughs> because I got to tell the story. We were undefeated for the first five games, and then I set a curfew for the next game, and we lost. Eric Lindros came and said, "Mike, you, you screwed the whole thing up. We were going great. You gave us a curfew, and we lost." So uh, they did change the rules that year too, in terms of the format of how it would uh, be set up, uh, how the, the pools would play out, and, and how you could succeed. So it, it was a, a great experience. You're still representing your country. Obviously, prior to that, I'd coached uh, Team Canada in Finland and the junior championships and then 87-91 Canada Cup and then 93 in Munich, Germany, representing Canada. So anytime you're representing your country, although they, there may be a feeling that they're disappointed that they didn't make the playoffs, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but they do have a great deal of pride as Canadians and the, it really surfaces and continues to do so.
1: Was that the tournament in which you got sick, had to go to hospital? Yeah, I did. Tell us that story about how makeup (laughs) took down Iron Mike Keenan, TV makeup.
2: That's right. Uh, Women would know this, but anytime uh, you have uh, makeup, uh, there's a possibility of getting bacteria in. Anyway, I was introduced to New York as the New York Rangers' new coach, and I had several, several uh, interviews. And the last one, uh cut it short in terms of me making the airplane. I barely made it to my flight. And uh during the flight I I noticed I was getting a little bit of a irritated neck and I realized I hadn't washed the, the makeup off and uh you know, even through a shaving cut. Uh by the time I got to Germany and you know, a couple of days later uh uh the doctors in uh, Team Canada were taking me every day to get uh, some drugs to fight the infection. I was very sick. I never got out of bed except I, I begged Roger to coach the team, and he, he said, no, you have to coach. So, uh, you know, there was times during the games I wasn't feeling that well, but uh, uh continued to do so. But, yeah, it was uh scary time in terms of uh, what can transpire in a six or seven hour flight that goes uh, from New York City to Germany.
1: Well, everybody has their kryptonite. I'm not sure anybody would have guessed that uh, that would have been yours. But uh, <laughs> we do have the video evidence. So uh, um, the good news is you got through the tournament and, uh, and all was well. So uh, we're coming up on the end of uh, Our first half hour, so uh, we invite everybody to stay tuned and uh, listen to more of the Iron Mike Keenan show after these commercial messages. Welcome back to the show, radio show number 16, podcast number 37, coming to you from the airport in Costa Rica, an airport in Costa Rica. And... uh, a home in Toronto, Canada. So we are stretched. Uh, San,
2: San Jose, Scott.
1: San Jose the Airport, airport. Uh, not in California, yeah. but in uh, Costa Rica. <laughs> so there you go. So we heard on the introduction, we were talking about uh, world championships and such, but uh, we talked, uh, you'd mentioned about being hired by the New York Rangers prior to those worlds and in Munich back in the day. And uh, uh, 1994, you're coaching the Rangers. uh, You win the Stanley Cup, the first in 54 years for that franchise dating back to 1940. So we fast forward to today, May 2nd, uh, which is the anniversary. There's the number again, 54 years since the Toronto Maple Leafs won their last Stanley Cup 54 years ago, May 2nd, <laughs> 1967, they beat the Montreal Canadiens, a bit of an upset that spring that the Leafs weren't expected to win. They had great teams in the sixties, but, um, they win in six games. So you're a Toronto boy, Mike, any recollections of, uh, of that series? First of all,
2: uh, actually I, I do recall it because, uh, I was, as a youngster, as you know, and probably you were involved too, you're, I was very excited about the Toronto Maple Leafs playing for the Stanley Cup. And, uh, of course, back in the day, you probably knew every player in the league, not just in the Toronto Maple Leafs, because there was only six teams. And uh, it was a great accomplishment. Uh, interesting enough, uh, in that particular year, uh, some of the great players, uh, after they won the cup, certainly went around to Southern Ontario, and, and we had one player whose name was uh, Dick Duff. So uh, again, a Montreal Canadian, Tom Mapleleaf, and, and he came to visit uh, uh, some of the kids. Another great uh, at our school. Another great story was that uh, in 1964. Uh, the much Canadians were coming in to, to uh, have a pre-game skate and play the Toronto Maple police Well, they ended up getting instructions from Frank Selke that they're going out to this little school in Whitby called St. John's Evangelist Catholic School, and lo and behold, they lo- they they load up all these Hall of Famers, superstars, Rocker Richard, John Beliveau, uh Jacques Plot the whole gang, Harvey, the whole gang, and they end up coming to our school. And the reason was is Frank Selke's daughter was my teacher and she was a nun. So she insisted that her father bring the Montreal Canadians out. So those teams back then, of course, uh, particularly Toronto and, uh, and Montreal, uh, captured the the, the imagination of all these Canadians and, and, uh, you know, there was a group that were the Montreal Canadiens diehard, and the group that the Toronto Maple Leafs were diehard. But interesting for you to comment now it's fifty-four years. So that means we're getting a little older. Uh, that since they won, that's that's a long run.
1: So the Leafs for a very good team this year, and <clears throat> good young team, some tremendous players, Austin and Matthews uh, from the Phoenix Scottsdale area, Mitch Marner local boy um, sitting in first place in their Northern division in this uh, shortened season. Uh, but a team that was expected to be, you know, on the cusp uh, regardless of uh, the circumstances in the world and the season. But as we mentioned, coming, this is the 54th anniversary of uh, that cup win and the drought. And as they say, uh, you weren't there long in New York before winning, but uh, you were certainly well aware of the drought in New York. And how heavily does something like that weigh on a team? I mean, if I'm playing on the team today, I haven't lived through all of those 54 years, but I've certainly heard about
2: them. Absolutely. And I I think that uh, if you make the comparison between New York and Toronto, you'll see that Uh, both are uh, hockey meccas in terms of uh, media coverage, particularly Toronto and Canada. Uh, And those players, uh, as they now uh, made a pretty good accomplishment in the regular season, uh, when they go in the playoffs, they are going to be told, they're going to be reminded, they're going to be notified that uh, uh, it's 54 years. And there's going to be, an incredible amount of public scrutiny and pressure put on him. And I'm very proud of the team in New York because that escalated as we continue the playoffs, uh, even to the point where, uh, you know, the great overtime win in game seven against the Jersey and, and then going to game seven against Vancouver, uh, the pressure points mounted and, and continue to, to increase as we, uh, closer and closer to the copy, even to the point where, where people in the garden, to the final two or three seconds in the final face of McAvish took an RN. They were just hyperventilating uh, because they they, they considered it to be a curse, a curse. And the Toronto Maple Leafs are gonna to have to face that if they have any deep success in the playoffs because of the expectations begin to increase and uh, and hope uh, gets even bigger. So, late. Hey, they're going to feel it for sure, Scott.
1: Now, you know, throughout that season in certain buildings and certainly um, Long Island now, well, there's no fans in the building. So maybe that's a blessing in disguise. Or is it a burden
2: or both? I, I think it's uh, uh, something that, that, the group as a, as a group and the coaching staff, but particularly the players as a group have to decide how they're going to handle it, how it's going to affect them. And in our case, we had such an experienced group. Uh, I think it was motivational. I don't think they felt the pressures of it. It certainly wasn't, uh, they weren't part of that history. The long part of it. They had some history, some of the players have been there for a few years and shared in that 54 uh, year a drought, but uh, and then, of course, uh, as you know, between New York Islanders and New York Rangers, anytime they could get under each other's skin, uh, the better, because uh, the Islanders would continue to, to throw that in the face of the New York Rangers, that they had won four consecutive cups on the Island, and, and uh, as you know, uh, Scott, in, in New York, uh, Madison Square guards Islanders come in and and there would always be that big chant that pot band sucks. And Dennis, I worked with him in in uh, in Florida, and he would always just put up four fingers, and he said, it's pot band's cups, not that pot band sucks. He put up the four rings. So, uh, again, uh, they, they can bits with it. Now we're a little bit older, but our group handled it pretty well. It wasn't, it, it as I said, it escalated more at the end of the, of our playoff run, as, as opposed to the regular season.
1: Were there times privately when, as I know in talking to the players, they kind of shake their heads and they say, well, didn't really believe it, but there were times when you started to wonder, did you ever privately have a moment and say, maybe there is a curse?
2: No, I really didn't. I believed in the group and, and, uh, I'm not a superstitious guy in that regard. So, uh, I had heard it before as well in, in my stop in, in, along the way in, in the Philadelphia, Chicago. So Not that they had been chanted in those buildings, but, uh, uh, out scouting in the island or being in New York City scouting and, uh, maybe chanting 1940 and, uh, you know, trying to put, uh, put some emphasis on it, and there was always, uh, as you know, somebody in the media would mention that the, the curse still continues, and and uh, will it ever be, uh, will, will we ever uh, exercise uh, the curse? So um, it's, it's, it's present, and particularly in big markets where there's big media coverage.
1: Well, they're coming up on 27 years in New York, halfway to 54. And- God forbid it goes to 54 for Rangers fans, but as uh, there was always that famous sign. I don't know if you saw it uh, during the celebration, Mike. But there was the one fan, a longtime ticket holder, and I can remember walking down through the seats from the one of the press boxes to get downstairs at the end of the game and watching, you know, people of all ages, Rangers fans, crying their eyes out that they were just as that clock finally, the buzzer finally went. They, Finally, gotten to the top of the mountain and just so relieved, so excited. And there was the one fan who held up the side who said, I can finally
2: die now. Yeah, I can rest in peace. Yes. Uh, yeah, they were, they were uh, just elated, as you know, with the outburst. New York City needed a boost at the time, an emotional boost as a city. Uh, the New York Rangers gave it to them. Uh, there's a long history of Rangers fans, loyal fans, which there are in many franchises, particularly the original six, and uh, they embraced that victory as you said, very emotional. For more, the hoped tour over a million people come to the parade. Uh, so, uh, you know, they were. It was a very important event in the history of New York City, and you know, as you just mentioned, twenty-seven, coming up to twenty-seven years now uh since the last victory since our victory and that just shows you how difficult it is to win and the people in Toronto uh, are hoping uh, among all hope right now that this young group can do something fantastic or, or miraculous if you like but uh, it just shows you how difficult it is uh, some franchises have never won and even those uh, original six have the drought now, what is it, Montreal Canadiens, 1993? Yeah, for so, Canadian teams, yeah. For, Canadi- for Canadian, Montreal Canadiens teams, that's a drought too. So, uh, a tough trophy to win. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And uh, you talk about winning trophies, and uh, you were able to win a Gagarin Cup uh, in the uh, the Soviet elite, the KHL. And... Uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier, that they just finished their playoffs and uh, a familiar face uh, behind the winning bench there. So we'll take a break and uh, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the Rangers. I want to put a bow on that and then uh, about winning in Russia. Winning is winning and uh, what that experience is like. We'll be back with more in a minute of the Iron Mike
0: King show. Back to the Iron Mike Keenan show. The stories behind the stories from the hockey world. Join the conversation now by calling 814-272-9700. That's 814-272-9700. Now, here's coach Iron Mike Keenan and Hockey Hall of Fame journalist, Scott Morrison.
1: Welcome back to the show. Uh, The first Sunday of May. We flip another page on the calendar, which is always good to see, warm weather for those of us who are stuck in the north, on the horizon, if not here already. Um, so Mike, we mentioned uh, before the break, talking about the Rangers and that uh, 94 cup win ending the 54 year drought. Um, the Maple Leafs coming up on 54 years, the anniversary of their last cup in 67. And uh, I guess you you always hear that phrase about special bond between teams when they win. Is it even more acute when you go through an experience of ending a drought like that, I wonder? I
2: think it it is. I think that uh, certainly the group in New York is bonded. Uh, They they continue to... to, uh, Uh, have reunions. The New York Rangers are are good in that regard and and, uh, you know, going to that that group of alumni, but all alumni, they've got a great great uh, alumni association but they reach out to that team in particular uh, uh, to look for uh, community involvement you know Mark Messies down there Mike Richter, Brian Leach Adam Graves uh, just to name a few, Stefan Matto, he'll fly in quite right often uh, just to, to you know, community events. It was quite like, as I mentioned earlier, with the Maple Leafs in '67. They they reached out to the community after they had won in a, in a big way. Uh, of course, they were very popular, as was, was the case with the New York Ranger players, but uh, uh, they gave back to the community and continue to do so. That's really a nice thing. And I think that. Uh, it says something about the bond of the group. Um, And, uh, you know, when this COVID thing is over with, the group has already committed to play a a major uh, charitable game uh, in Madison Square Gardens to raise funds, and they've all committed to come back. So, uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, exhibit, an uh, uh, interesting uh, display of of the team bonding that uh, continues to to hold your group together. Absolutely. So uh,
1: you win a Stanley Cup and you also won a Gagarin Cup uh, in the KHL. And are you now one of two who have had that accomplishment of winning one in
2: each league? Uh, Yeah, Bob Hartley, congratulations to him. And Jacques Couche who played for me in Rochester. Ends up winning the, the Gagarin Cup again. We talked earlier in the show about uh, uh, Gerard Grolant getting kind of put aside. And Bob Hardy, the uh, same thing uh, has happened to him. Uh, he got thrown out of the, the merry-go-round of the NHL and ends up coaching now. I think this is his fourth year and winning the Gagarin Cup. Uh, and as we said, winning is winning. Regardless of what level you're at, it's still very difficult. And, and you know, for a foreigner who can't speak the language, I don't know how much Bob has learned. I learned quite a bit how to speak Russian, but uh, to go into that environment, all, all the uncertainty, all the particular, all the unknowns, and then to succeed, he had his captain, though, uh, had some familiarity. Kovalchuk. Uh, with the NHL and with and, and probably was a great influence in Milwaukee uh, in assisting the coaches. So, uh, my captain was, was Akin, who had played a little bit of junior in Western Canada. So he had a slight little bit of uh, English. And my other assistant captain, which was an excellent player instead of very off, and he had played a little bit in Western Canada in junior hockey. So that, plus the, uh, my group was exposed to Dave King, some of them, uh, and also to uh, Paul Maurice. So there was some uh, custom uh, familiarity to having Canadian coach, but I don't know if anybody preceded Bob from Canada. Uh, now I do remember, yeah, there were uh, a few Canadians that were in else uh, There's a few teams over there who preferred Canadian coaches rather than Foreign coaches. Well, Dave King had a, a stint there in Russia. He had, yeah, he was in Magnitogorsk. Uh, Paul Maurice was in Magnitogorsk M- M- as well. So, um, Omsk is uh, in Siberia, very uh, uh, old, old, old city. Probably about a million people, but they love hockey there and certainly they'll be ecstatic that they won.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit north. I've got to think the winters are interesting.
2: Very cold. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I don't know if it happens now, and it'd be funny if maybe you can share this with our audience, but uh, I left, I started in 2013, left Russia in 2017, and and of, of course you go to every city and play, but there was no McDonald's in Alms. In, in so uh, that tells you how... Sort of back in the time they were compared to the rest of the world. So
1: you had mentioned I me mean, winning is winning. So you know, Stanley Cup is one thing, and that's one thing. You grow up wanting to win, uh, but a Gagarin special in its own right.
2: It really is because, um, as I just alluded to, to win it uh, in a foreign country, foreign language a uh, completely unknown, different environment. With a multiple number of uh, countries. When I was there there was nine countries involved in the league. So that experience in various countries and and they're all hockey crazy. So uh the pressures now we we end up beating Czech Republic in seven games and that was McNeil. So it was a Russian team versus a Czech the public team, and then you go back to the history of the Second World War. And, uh, it was uh, very interesting. I and mean, Again, you talk about pressures of 54 years, uh, the pressures and expectations, and Czech Republic had a great team as well. I mean, we, we'd go in and play in, in Prague, and there'd be 18,000, 19,000 people at the games. Our arena held about 12,000, and both arenas were jam-packed. So.
1: I'm going to have to uh, cut you off You're there, Mike.
2: Important. We're okay. at the finish
1: line. Uh, we're handing out the silverware for another show. So uh, congratulations to Bob Hartley. And uh, and uh, the playoffs are about to begin a week or so away in the National Hockey League. So we look forward to that. And we look forward to talking to you
2: again next week on the Iron Mike Keenan Show. Have a great Sunday, people.